Pete McCarthy, Tim Britton, another edition of the Metrospective. And Tim, it, it appears as of now that we'll have some baseball, at the very least this three-month negotiating odyssey that did plenty of damage to the sport. It's over, and the players and the owners, maybe not uh, agreeing necessarily, but at least getting this thing started as uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred institutes a 60-game season. Baseball? <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with that phrase. I, I'm sorry. You'll have to. You'll have to give me a little more detail on how this this game is played. Uh, it's what no, they play in not... Korea. <laughs> oh, oh, I've seen that. Yeah, the weird cricket-like thing. Yeah, um, in, in the middle of the morning. Me of, reminds me of Rounders, that old old British <laughs> game that they played. An uh, Abner Doubleday kind of stole from. Um, yeah, so I. Uh, it's great that we get to actually talk about real issues. Uh, and not just theoretical ones. There are still uh, some pretty big issues uh, that that could potentially crop up here. But I think today is a day for optimism. Uh, this this week is a week for optimism uh, when it comes to baseball and the Mets. Uh, looking at their season and and kind of what shape it might take. We don't have a, a full schedule yet, uh, but 60 games. Uh, kind of know who they're going to play, if not in the exact amounts but you get kind of a sense you start to think about what what a season is going to look like uh in, in a much more detailed and, and concrete way than we've been able to for a long time now now we know well it'll be 60 games and we know there will be a designated hitter for the Mets to use you have these extra inning rules and there's a lot of different things to get into but let, let's start with the schedule itself it's going to be a sprint I every game is going to matter right Think about it. Typically, in a Major League Baseball season, you kind of say, eh, everything up to Memorial Day is just, that's the very early season. That would be the entirety of this season, right? So you could have some real oddities over the course of the year. Uh, For a team like the Mets, that's a borderline playoff contender, the schedule is tough because they only play teams within their own division and the AL East, two of the tougher divisions out there. So they'll play 40 games within the division and then 20 games interleague. It's going to make it tough to fall back on the wild card when you start looking at how easy it's going to be for some of these central teams. Yeah, I mean, the, the central is, in both leagues, is the division that makes out best with this geographically aligned schedule. I think there are some people, some Mets fans, who think like the West is also really easy, and that's not the case because there are some really good teams in the West, uh, in the Dodgers and the Astros, and you can throw the A's in there too. Uh, so, you know, really, the, the Mets, there, there's actually one way the schedule does work for them is, is every Mets fan hates how they have to play the Yankees more than anyone else every year. Uh, coming into this year, you know, a normal 162-game schedule, they were going to have to play the Yankees four times, and no one else in the division was going to play the Yankees. Uh, and the Mets weren't going to get a chance to play the Orioles at all. Uh, now, the, while the Mets have to play the Yankees six times, everyone else in the division has to play them at least three. Some will play them four. And the Mets will get at least three games against the Orioles. So the Yankees-Orioles matrix breakdown whatever works more in the Mets' favor now than it did before if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic about the schedule. Well, it's it's good within the division, I suppose, that little aspect of things, uh, even though overall, and look, it's a negative. They have to play the best team in the division more than anybody else does. But when you start looking at the wild card, I, I think that's where it gets really difficult, uh, again, especially in the Central where we, you have the – 
the Indians, maybe the White Sox are a little better in the AL Central, the Twins, but you got some really bad teams in the the Royals, the Tigers, and the National League side of it as well. Um, So that aspect of it is a great... And one thing to keep in mind, we don't have this whole expanded playoffs thing that was talked about. The players would have had to agree to the owner's proposal to get that 16-team playoff which I hated the idea anyway, would have allowed it for this year because it's so odd with the 60 games. But it's not going to be the type of year where you go 30 and 30 and make the playoffs, we think. Yeah, yeah. So there was, you know, when we were talking about the possible agreement uh, that they were running back and forth last week, the idea, oh, well, there's eight teams making the playoffs out of the 15 in the National League. There's really no excuse for the Mets not to be one of them. Now you've got the schedule as a possible excuse if you're not one of the five mm. of the 15 uh, in the division or in the league. Uh, and I think that is kind of where you look at the Mets right now is is probably as a team that's right there competing for one of those playoff spots, but not one you feel really certain about uh, getting one. Uh, and that's because there are still so many uncertainties with this roster, uh, most notably probably with, with the guy who's probably going to be their designated hitter. Yeah, will Yoenis Sespinas be ready now that the start of the season has been pushed back three months? Do, do we have any kind of update on Sespinas, on Jed Lowry, right? Michael Conforto was banged up at the end of spring training. Dylan Batances, uh, is that all stuff we're still waiting to hear from the Mets as far as whether or not these guys might be ready to go at the onset of spring training? You know, you know, the Mets haven't said anything about health updates for months. Um, but I think just uh, being a reasonable person, uh, Michael Conforto had an oblique injury that was likely to keep him out until like late April. Uh, I would think he'd be okay now. I would worry more about a recurrence of that uh, because you, you remember we go way back when we were talking to Eno Saris in, in March or April about what a return would look like. And, you know, hitters haven't seen 97 miles an hour in a while. It's hard to... Uh, adapt to that right away and you might see more oblique injuries and you've got someone who's got a tender one in in Conforto but I think like he'll be ready at the start of spring training 2.0 spring training B spring training summer training whatever you want to call it Uh, I think Batances is the same way Uh, he was going to be you know he was coming along a little slower in the regular spring training than everyone else but there was no idea that it was going to take him months to get back to form so I think he should be okay it might just be the same kind of thing where you hold him you, you have him go a little bit slower than everyone else over these next three and a half weeks Cespedes is a guy who I would expect to be pretty ready for the start of, of summer training. Because again, the, the whole issue with him was, can he play the field and can he run the bases? We haven't seen him run the bases yet, but he can, he can hit. And that's mainly what he's going to have to do. Uh, he's not going to have to play the field. So uh, the level of improvement he needs to show from where he was in spring training is not that significant. And he's worth three months later. So uh, I think he should be more or less ready to go. The one I don't know is Lowry, because even though he was in all of the drills and exercises and, and fundies uh, in spring training, he was doing so with that massive brace on his knee. Uh, and he couldn't play a regular game with a brace that size, and he didn't feel comfortable without it. So I don't know if he's been able to use the intervening three and a half months to find a smaller brace or get comfortable without a brace. Uh, but in order for him to be uh, a, a, a viable contributor to this team, he's got to figure that out, and I don't know that he has. He certainly hasn't uh, in, in his time with the Mets. What have we seen for nine at-bats last year? Is that what he nine at-bats, yeah. yeah. It's just... What it, it, it is what it is. Uh, New Yorkers spending more time outside than 
in recent memory, right? With the pandemic, keeping everybody inside over the last few months. Now you feel safe going out to the park. I know I've been running a lot and you get dehydrated really quickly. It's 90 something degrees every day all of a sudden. So one thing you could do to keep yourself hydrated, check out Hydrant. They're flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. This is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. No synthetic colors, no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can even save more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com athletic for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com athletic. Pete, you know, I was I was home at my parents over the weekend, and, and my mom did point out to me that I had not gotten my father a Father's Day gift, and I'm still looking for one. So if you're a fan just missing baseball or, like me, still looking for a belated Father's Day gift, why don't you check out Dugout Mugs? It's a company started in a college baseball dugout, that's why the name is Dugout Mugs, where they turn the barrel of a baseball bat into a 12-ounce mug. It's a perfect gift for the big game to put on display, to be the life of the party. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. Uh, as far as the DH goes, I was thinking about the stakes. I know we've talked about the possibility of the Mets having a designated hitter this year, and you focus on you want to assess, but as it's easy to point to Dom Smith as well, uh, who's stuck behind Pete Alonso. Maybe he gets an opportunity, but I'm thinking about it, and yes, the Mets do have some ready-made DHs to step into that spot. Does it make the lineup better? Yeah. But where I think it'll actually make the Mets much better is actually defensively, because now you could throw Jake Marisnik into center field, have him hit ninth at the bottom of the order, and you don't have to worry about that. You're not forcing Brandon Nimmo or Michael Conforto into center and then hoping Cespedes or Dom Smith can handle left field, or J.D. Davis for that matter. Now you're in a situation where you could play one of, if not your best defender every day and not really think twice about it. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if your best everyday lineup has has. Jake Marisnik in center field. Certainly your best defensive lineup uh, involves Marisnik playing center, Nimmo, and left. Uh, you know, uh, you want to play probably Davis and Cespedes if they're both healthy and productive. Everything we're talking about hinges off Ioannis Cespedes being a reasonable everyday baseball baseball hitter, a guy who's better than the league average when he's in the batter's box. Uh, if he's not that, then you kind of throw him out the window uh, and you talk about, you know, J.D. Davis as your more regular designated hitter in that case, probably. Uh, and in that instance, then, yeah, Marisnik's in the lineup on a very consistent basis. You don't think um, Marisnik is going to be an everyday guy now? No, no, because I, I think I think Cespedes, if if he's capable of being a guy who gives you, let's say, a 110, a 115 OPS plus, and he's done much better than that at times in his career, uh, then he's going to be the DH more often than not. You know, I don't think it's he's going to DH 50-55 games. I think it's probably 30-35 in that in that scenario. But that leaves, uh, 
you know, 30 to 35 games where you're going to play J.D. Davis somewhere in the field or Dom Smith in left field. Uh, and I don't know that you always have Marisnik in the lineup when Cespedes is your DH. I, I think Marisnik plays more, a higher percentage of games in this DH scenario than let's he would say, have otherwise. Let's say 50%. Does Marisnik play more or less than 50 or start more or less than 50% of the Mets games? Uh, I'll say yes, but that's probably because of an injury. If everyone's healthy, it's he's he's playing less than fifty percent of the games. Everyone is healthy. He's starting. See, I, less than I think 50%. that that defensive position in center field it's important. And if you're batting ninth now, it doesn't feel like you're losing a whole lot. But uh, look, I, I know Dom Smith and J.D. Davis put effort into left field last year, and it, it didn't look like a, a disaster necessarily. But it's clearly not. <laughs> You're faking it there. And then you're faking it in center to some degree. Brandon Nimmo or Michael Conforto as well. I just, I, I, if I had the ability to improve the Mets defensively, I, I'm really looking at that. I, I know Marisnik doesn't hit much, but now you had the ability to put someone out there and it's not killing your lineup. And, and you know, in that scenario, like, are you good with, okay, only one of Cespedes, Davis, or Smith is going to play on a regular basis? Well, you, you could rotate it, I'm sure. I want Cespedes to play as often as possible as long as he is healthy. Uh, I would think you know, J.D. Davis is bad. You'd like to get in there. If Dom Smith is coming off the bench, uh, and that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Davis and Smith are guys that are I – th- I, I think they're good bench pieces, and I think they can be more than that. Uh, but I, I, I've – do you I'm focus not, I, on the I, offense much? See, I don't. I don't see the Mets are going to have this huge problem scoring runs, but the defense has been horrific in recent years, and here's an opportunity to actually improve it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, this is we've, this has been an intractable issue for them for a long period of time, uh, and it's hard for them to improve it. This is the simplest way for them to do it now. I just. I think the gap between Davis and Marisnik, at least last year, you know, there are, you know, you can go back 2017, Marisnik was very good. Uh, there are some caveats uh, to that offensive performance, obviously, in Houston that year. Um, but I, I think if Davis is what he was, if he shows you signs that he can be what he was last year, uh, if Smith shows you signs of what he could be, what he was last year, if Cespedes looks anything like what he what he's been, then I think those are two good offensive players uh, to to make the sacrifice with Marisnik in the outfield. Well, at the very least, I guess uh, you know get get Marisnik on second base to start the tenth inning, right? Well, you, that's why you're carrying John Eshwe Fargus, right? You're, oh. just, you're gonna you're gonna bring in the the thirty man roster to start the season. You might as well dedicate one of those spots to a, a burner like like Fargus. So we're going to start out with September type baseball where it's uh, four hour games to welcome back baseball with uh, 40 substitutions being made late. Can, can I tell you what my, my biggest worry and I, I understand why the biggest worry about new the new rules is, is that there isn't the limit on pitchers, yeah. uh, the number of pitchers you can carry, you know, coming into this year, it's supposed to be you could have a 26 man roster and the maximum amount of pitchers you could have is 13. Uh, and now that's they've thrown out the whole pitcher maximum. So you could have a 30-man roster with 17 or 18 pitchers if you wanted to. Uh, and I, you get it because pitchers are going to be behind hitters uh, in terms of getting ready for the season because of all of this. Yeah. But there is, you know, you can just imagine Joe Madden like laughing in a lair somewhere, thinking about how he's going to deploy all of these pitchers despite the three-batter minimum uh, and figuring out how to, how to win the matchups late in a game. 
let's hope the Mets don't play the Tampa Bay Rays the first month of the season because again they'll go down to 26 man roster by about a month in but that first month there are just some teams that love to take advantage of the rules no matter how ugly it makes the game as we've seen over the years and I could see that being uh, being one of those. I think the other thing that's interesting about this, the Mets have a rookie manager in Luis Rojas, right? And now you're going to have to manage a 30-man roster to start the season. You're going to be in the unique position of trying to build your pitchers within the season. Now, I suppose that happens over 162 the first month or two, but now you have this sprint where every game is so vital and you might not be able to push Jacob deGrom into that eighth inning right off the bat. What do you think it means for a rookie manager? I mean, I guess you're open-minded because you haven't had the old rules before, so therefore maybe it's easier for you to adjust on the fly, but it's also you're trying to figure it out as you go, and there's a lot to figure out as a rookie manager. Yeah, it's it's hard to say if it's, if it's going to be a tougher year to manage for a rookie than any other manager because there's just no blueprint for this type of baseball season. Uh, no one's had anything like this. This isn't there, you know, I guess if you've managed in, in rookie ball, you understand like the short season kind of thing. Uh, but certainly your your priority is not winning there. I would have said coming into the season, I probably did on this podcast at various times, that, that the biggest challenge for Rojas was going to be uh, how to deal with the media on a regular basis because that's something you don't uh, encounter in the minor leagues to the same extent. Now I don't think that's the case because the, the media interaction is going to be so filtered and, and, and mediated, I guess, uh, because it's going to be on Zoom almost all the time uh, that it really is figuring out all of these other aspects of roster management, like who's who should be on your active roster on any given time, uh, how proactively do you rest guys? You know, how open are guys with you? Like I didn't sleep well last night. Maybe I was breathing heavy. I don't know what that means. Uh, and those kinds of things, uh, in addition to just the usual in-game decisions you have to make. So I, I really do think, uh, roster management is going to be the biggest challenge, not just for Rojas, but for really any manager trying to figure out how, how to, how to run this thing. What would some of those more tense Mickey Calloway, post-game interviews have been like on zoom (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it's just you know there's there's less confrontation when there's a screen in the way you can take over the screen you talk over the manager and then boom you it's your face up there now (laughs) yeah it's it's that's i have no idea how that's going to work out on a regular basis and and as a reporter the thing you dislike is especially for a first year manager and we you know we've gotten to know Luis a little bit from his time on the the major league staff last year and in spring training uh but you just you miss out on those informal conversations with with him and with with all the players uh and that's you know it's it's annoying when every interview you have to do is necessarily formal and transactional it's for a story you can't just go up and say like hey how you feeling uh or what about this bad umpires call or something and that'll be something i've I've got to figure out how to get around this year and uh quickly tim a new york post report this week that the wilpons want to maybe need to sell the mets by this fall what do you make of that it's not a surprise uh i mean the reason they we 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 believed they were for sale in the first place going back to the end of last year was that they needed money uh this the, you know they're not selling it because they're done they're they're tired of owning the Mets or anything like that uh I think cash flow is probably the main driver behind this and 
everything that has happened since has just exacerbated uh, whatever need they might have had in the first place. So uh, I, I do think it, it will be interesting to see how much buyers try to leverage that. Uh, I don't know if you call it desperation uh, on the Wilpons behalf at that point, uh, but that... Uh, all of these dynamics do not work for Fred and Jeff Wilpon and Saul Katz and Sterling Equities to sell the Mets at the highest price that they would like to sell them. Everything Ooh. is working against them. No, is it, it was going to be $2.6 billion to Steve Cohen. And then Josh Harris now comes in. This is the owner of the Sixers as well as the Devils. And they reportedly offered $1.4 billion. So like a little more than half in the span of six, seven months now. Supposedly that was dead on arrival, but that's the kind of offer that is coming in early. Yeah, and that's barely ahead of what my, the Marlins were sold for not that long ago. That was $1.2 billion, I believe. And, you know, the Mets have, have historically been, what, a top six to eight team in franchise valuation, at least since City Field was built. So uh, that the Marlins have been toward the lower end. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that puts that in perspective a little bit. Well, we'll continue following uh, the ownership situation over the course of the season as well. But, hey, as of now, it appears there will be a season. And at least we can stop talking about these labor negotiations back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But uh, for Tim Britton, I'm Pete McCarthy. We'll see you soon, Tim. Adios.